Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We missed some news last week. We did? I wouldn't have noticed. I was on an airplane for most of last week. Well, well that's the thing. You know, the, the cat's kind of out of the bag. We recorded that show a little early. We, we got what we could at the beginning of the week, but we wanted to make sure that something happened next or last week. But speaking of next week... Did it change any of the scoring? No. Any it, of our news changed the scoring where I did not come in last? No, it did not. Oh. We, we, we sent it off to the marshals. Charlie Whiting reviewed the scores. They were no, they were provisional at the end of the recording. Um, however, they have since been confirmed by the FIA and the World Motorsport Council, and you still lost. Oh, darn. <laughs> Do I have to have a grid penalty for the next prediction show? Because you know how I feel about grid penalties. Potentially. Okay. Although, actually, I think we may have to adopt the the um, the world rallying rules, where depending on where you finish in the previous heat is how much of a time advantage you get in the next heat. No. <laughs> now, if we're going to adopt anybody else's rules, we're going to adopt the lemons rule, where we can bribe the judging. Uh, well, okay, that's fair <laughs> enough. But you're going to get annoyed if I go and spray paint the, the cheater cheater stencil on the hood of your car. You spray paint <laughs> anything on my car, and that's grounds for papers, dude. Be- because that that's the other piece of the bribing rule is they do get to stencil stuff on your car. <sighs> we could ignore that part of the rules. Oh. If we're going to pick and choose rules, no, we can pick it? and choose our own rules. You know who wishes that they could pick and choose rules right now? Who? Well, last weekend was the season opener for Formula E, which we're not watching. But it was the season opener for Formula E. (laughs) Are we not watching it because of the noise? Because you know the noise is so important in Formula One, and Formula E doesn't have the noise. And so maybe that's why we're not watching it. Well, it has noise. They sound like Power Wheels cars, which (laughs) in a way is kind of interesting. They sound like Power Wheels cars, and they move as fast as they do. Which isn't really fast, but it's faster than your your average Power Wheels car. Okay. But last weekend was the the first weekend of the 2017 slash 18 Formula E season because it it runs past New Year's um, with a race in Hong Kong. Okay. It was also the debut weekend for um, Audi's Formula E team with our friend Alan McNish. Alan McNish as team principal. And it was looking super promising. It really was. Yeah. Talking about, you know, provisional uh, results. The provisional result was Germany's Daniel Apt driving for Audi Sport won the race. Ooh, nice. Congratulations, Alan McNish and Daniel. I mean, this is awesome way to start the season. You've got this, guys. And using the Formula One pundit motto, they're totally going to win the whole series. Well, it was looking promising until the post-race inspection ended Daniel and Audi's victory celebrations because Daniel was qualified and a win was handed to Felix Rosenquist. He was qualified or disqualified? Disqualified. Disqualified. That's the important precept. And, and the, the win was handed to Felix Rosenquist. Don't. Yeah, um... It turned out that the FIA security stickers on the inverters and motors on Daniel's car did not correspond with those declared on the car's technical passport. They got disqualified for stickers? Well, it, it wasn't so much stickers, but because those stickers indicated certain registered parts. And because the the serial numbers did not match, it says that the registered parts were not on the car. That's a problem. Yes. But, but, with a giant asterisk, one might say that once somebody figures out how to record the right part numbers, then they wouldn't get disqualified again, and they still probably have a really good chance in the series. Well, in, initially, the team was going to go, and they were going to challenge this. Then they realized that really they had no ground to stand on. And now McNish he put out a, a statement 
on this. You know, now he doesn't really have a choice. He's got to acknowledge it. He said, we gain no advantage as a result of the administrative error and all parts fully complied to homologation and the technical regulations at all times. Still, we accept the decision of the FIA and fully back the technical passport regulations. Unfortunately, that wasn't the only bit of bad news for the team that weekend. Ouch. What else happened? Well, the team also got fined 5,000 euros, which works out to just shy of $6,000 for a completely different infringement. It seems that five Audi team members walked onto the track to get to the podium before the final car had entered Parc Ferme, which the stewards deemed a serious breach of safety regulations. Ouch. <laughs> So not a great weekend for Audi Sports debut. But they're new. They are. They don't really know the rules. They're learning. It's a rebuilding. It's a building year. Not even a rebuilding year. They've not built before. Yeah. So maybe next time, guys? <laughs> <laughs> What do you want to bet that the person that transposed the numbers in their administrative error is um, no longer working for Audi Sport? Well, I, you know, I think that's the worst part of it is that these are all stupid, silly mistakes. It wasn't even like they were driving and, and the rear end exploded off the back of the car or something like that. This was all seriously preventable stuff. Right. You can't turn around and say, well, you know, we're a new team. It's a new power unit, new engineering design. We haven't quite figured out the – no. The, well, that didn't work for three years of Honda. Why do you think it's going to work for one race of Audi? I mean, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So over into IndyCar. Oh, you did get the memo. We're a Formula One podcast, correct? We, we cover other stuff, too. We've had the, these conversations in the past. I know. We, I mean, I'm we, just reminding you that we do ha tend to try to tie things up with the Formula One boat. Well, that's where I'm headed. Okay. Okay? And and we've actually, if you think about it, we have hit on Formula One. Alan McNish drove in Formula One. He used to commentate on Formula One. So there is still the Formula One connection. <laughs> our, neck, our next story still has Formula One connections. So shut it. <laughs> <laughs> Shutting it. Okay, Alexander Rossi, Formula, Formula One driver, told you <laughs> there was a Formula One connection here. Mm -hmm. um, he did a, uh, a question and answer uh, session on, uh, it was a fan question and ask, answer session on the Riley Children's Foundation funding website a few weeks ago. Okay. Um, and there was a question that was asked by a fan that Alexander was asked to, to, to answer and published on the page. Um, it was asked by a fan with the, who went by the username CD. Okay. The question that was asked of Alex was, which driver without a ride most deserves one and why is it Connor Daly? <laughs> okay. Now, Alexander's response was Connor because his rent is due. <laughs> well apparently alexander rossi had been tweeting earlier that connor daly better start finding a ride because he needs to pay rent yeah to which point connor in his own twitter feed retweets alexander rossi's tweet and says his mom's basement is looking daunting <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. Since his mom is married to the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, could it be that bad? I doubt it's it's a bad basement. Or is Doug going to make him go and actually he won't let him move into the basement, but is actually going to tell him he's got to take up residence in one of the garages at the Speedway? Well, there's that possibility, too. Here's a here's a sleeping bag. Go sleep in a garage. Yeah. Um, I mean, Till you get a job. Doug seems like such a nice, down-to-earth stepdad. You kind of can see a little tough love. Like, dude, you got to get a job. You got to, like, work for your money. Um, we're not here to just support you. Just because your stepdad pre is the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And your father is a fairly famous 
race driver. Former Formula One driver. There's it's your connection. connection. <laughs> did you know that, you know, in the did you know column of <clears throat> Connor Daly, because I went to go look mm-hmm. to confirm um, various things about Connor Daly at that particular moment. Um, he has dual citizenship. <clears throat> really? Yeah. His dad, the former F1 driver, is Irish. He holds an Irish and American citizenship. You know, the last time that I heard Derek speak, his dad, I could have sworn he had like a Minnesota accent. Well, Minnesota Irish sounds yeah, same, I, thing. <laughs> same thing entirely. Um, the other little piece of trivia about both our friends, Connor and Alex, and you know, Alex, kind enough to take selfies with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, dear friend of the show, dear friend of the show, he did not try to run me over on a moped. That's true. There is that. One Pablo Montoya is dead to you. <laughs> he tried to run me over. And Alex had an opportunity to try to run me over, and he avoided me on his moped. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. Anyway, um, starting January 3rd, you may want to tune in to The Amazing Race because the current roommates mm-hmm. and dear buds, probably full of bro love between Connor and Alex, <laughs> um, are starring in The Amazing Race as part of... Uh, Which really makes me wonder what the theme of the series is, that they've got two IndyCar drivers. Are there, are there other sports pairings? Um, they only focus... Connor's Twitter feed only focused on Connor and Alex well, because, yeah. you know, bro love. But I, mean, I will but, tell you that all they did they did the matching outfit thing, and they're all indie t-shirts. Of course. <laughs> but what I, what I was going to say could be really interesting. Actually, what would be hysterical, and it'll never happen, is the other pairing in Amazing Race should be Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. That would be awesome TV. Oh, can you imagine the bickering? That would be awesome TV. Can you imagine the bickering? You know, the other one that would be really awesome would be the Fernando Alonso Massa pairing. That I think would be real. They would get along really well. Up until the point that Fernando turns around and goes, I'm faster than you. (laughs) Faster. I'm running faster than you. Faster than you get out of the way. (laughs) Yeah. They'd be going up some steps somewhere, and Fernando would be behind Massa and go, I'm faster than you. Move it. <laughs> yeah. Also news with Alexander Rossi. He's changing teams-ish. Ish? Ish. Well, currently he is driving – well, this past year, he was driving in the Andretti Herda number 98 car, which was a partnership between um, – Michael Andretti's team and Brian Herta. Correct. When Brian Herta's team kind of went under and it said they merged. Well, now he's going to be shifting over into the number 27 Andretti Autosport car currently being driven. Well, that was this past year being driven by Marco Andretti, who's going to shift over into the number 98 Andretti Herta car. Now, Herta did a lot of like special one-off work with Marco. Yeah. Um, This past year, there was like, you know, Team building. And, 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 and that may be some of what this is, is some, some, some closer more, mentoring. It's a mentoring for Marco. It may be more of a move for Marco than it is a move for Alex. You know, if you need me to talk to him on the radio to calm him down, maybe he should be driving in my car instead of your car. That way we're on the same radio circuit. I, th- yeah, that, I, I can't imagine that they haven't figured out how to, like, they have, like, the little switchboard lady that's changing yeah. the, the plugs <laughs> in their, their – um, pit box but i'm quite sure that that's part of the partnership is that marco has been working with herda so much more lately um so that seems to make sense yeah also in indycar news still tied into to formula one okay uh despite ongoing talks between indycar and officials in mexico city uh, last week, IndyCar CEO Mark Miles confirmed that there would not be a race, an IndyCar race, in Mexico City for 2018, but they are hopeful to bring one to the city in 2019 to run at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, where Formula One races. That's the connection you went with? That's the connection. Well, I mean, if you think about it, that would be... In current iteration, the only track 
that both Indy and Formula One drive on in the same calendar year. Correct. And I mean, there's been rumblings about Long Beach, and I don't think Long Beach is going to happen for Formula One right now. There's been some rumblings about maybe IndyCar goes to Circuit of the Americas, but it doesn't sound like there's been anything serious about that yet. And IndyCar wants to establish itself as a global series again Mm -hmm. because it has run in Brazil, it has run in China, um, and it has run in Mexico. And really all it goes to now is Canada. Right. Now, I would suggest that if they decide to go back to Brazil, that they figure out the security and possibly bring their own armed guard. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But the other piece of it is that for as domestic as IndyCar is, its driver lineup is really international. Right. I mean, let's face it. We are not growing single-seater open-wheel drivers in the United States. No, we are. I mean, there there is a arguably there is a fairly strong open wheel feeder series and and feeder ladder into IndyCar. There is, but are we are we growing American drivers into that feeder series? Yes, we are. Yes. Then why aren't they making it all the way? Are they just not good enough? Are we lazy Americans? There, no, there, there, there's quite a few, and, and, and I think several drivers that are on the grid and have been for, for the last several years who are American drivers who came up through that series, like, oh, Ryan Hunter, Ray, and others, would really beg to differ as to whether or not Americans are being grown into open rail racing. But the difference is that they're being grown into IndyCar. They're not being grown into Formula One because that is – it doesn't take from the American feeder series that much. It takes from the European feeder series. And, and it, that's a different track. And it takes from a karting series mm-hmm. internationally. And um, that's why Alexander Rossi went, I mean, he's from California. Mm-hmm. But from like age eight to 10, he moved. They went to Europe. To Europe and lived in Europe and grew up in Europe. But that's the big difference is that if you want to get into Formula One, you have to go to Europe. I mean, it's the same thing with Daniel Ricciardo and several of these these other drivers that came from other countries far and away from Europe ended up in Formula One is because they picked up and they moved to Europe to get into Formula One. And Formula One doesn't typically take drivers from the American feeder series into it. They go into IndyCar. Or they go into NASCAR or trucks or whatever. Well, I know that we grow people into NASCAR pretty easily. Mm-hmm. You know, if I start to imagine a world where Formula One, because we now do have an American team with Haas, yeah, um, that Formula One starts to look into the growing of an American driver, which would be awesome for an American team to have an American driver, kind of like a French team having a French driver. Um, but... If they think about that, could you imagine a world where you'd have to listen to David Cothard talk about the up-and-coming American driver, Stingray Rob? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, could we get to that point in our world? Yeah, that would be kind of cool. And and in a way, well, if you remember the way Formula One rules work when it comes to testing, in order to do in-season quote-unquote testing that is not part of the big formal testing series, you've got to have a car that's two years old. Correct. So Haas just hit that point this going into this year that they will have a two-year-old car available for that kind of a thing. Could it be within Gene Haas's roadmap and development map to being able to offer these private tests in the older car to some of these American series, to some of these leading drivers as a way of trying to get eyes on them as to how they would perform in a Formula One car. I don't know. But that could be a route that he could go as opposed to trying to pull somebody out of one of the European series into a young dri- the formal young driver tests and test program. Right. I mean, I would hope that Gene is considering 
looking into the American market. Yeah, well, there there is one drive, and, and I Antonio Giovinazzi, that's it. Yeah. Antonio Giovinazzi is an American driver in the Haas and Ferrari programs. Now, how promising he actually is and whether or not there is a possibility of him moving forward, I don't know. But he's but, in the program. But, you know, he has an advantage. He doesn't have an American-sounding name. Exactly. He, he sounds Italian. <laughs> he sounds Italian, and his name is not Stingray Rob. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's like Daniel Ricardo. Yeah. So. All right. Um, the FIA, going into more Formula One related news. No, we're, we're not off on tangents now. Uh, we heard, uh, what was it, a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, that they wanted to do a Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Well, it officially launched this past week with uh, nine Formula One world champions in Paris to attend the gala launch of the new Hall of Fame. Now, this is not like the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame or the NFL's Hall of Fame where there's this big museum and fan experience and all of that. It sounds like it's just a hallway in, like, FIA headquarters with some plaques. But it's to recognize... World champions because they haven't had enough recognition already? Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's... I would assume that this is going to be much like... Um, BRDC and several of the others that have Hall of Fames. Of, they've started with the champions because that's the low-hanging fruit to recognize, but then they're going to start looking at other folks to recognize. I'm, I'm sure at some point Charlie Whiting's going to end up in there. And um, who was the doctor years ago who spearheaded the safety oh, stuff? I, he will probably end the up The one in that there. just passed. Well, he passed in 2012. Just recently. Yeah. Um, he'll probably end up, and you got to think that Bernie's going to end up in there too. Some of the team principals will probably end up in there. You, you got to think that that's what's going to happen. But it officially launched with nine champions. Okay. Now it's official, and the teams don't like it, but they are experiencing a drop in prize money this year. And Christian Horner thinks that. It's likely that at least another two years that that could be the case. Wow. Now, the— What's affecting this drop? Well, well that, that's the thing, is that the, actu- the final amounts for prize money is dependent on uh, overall revenues that the sport has pulled in over the year. Well, now that Liberty has come in, Liberty's investing in the business— well, they're investing in the business, which is decreasing the revenue, the, the overall uh, profits that are being made by the sport to get and, and the funding available to distribute into the prize purse. So from what Christian Horner has to say, because he's really been the only one who's been vocal on this, he says you have to invest in the business to accumulate, and I think Liberty has had a big learning year. They've done a season now. They've applied the right specialists in the right areas, and they are forming their game plan for 2021. It's very easy to criticize on headcount or spending, and it is just a different mentality to how Bernie Bernie Eccleston operated. Bernie ran a very tight, closed shop. He was the marketing department. He was the sales department, and it was very much a one-man show. Liberty, having acquired the business, have put a structure in place. They're looking to put a bit more analysis into the future as well, and there is a cost associated with that. Inevitably, there will be an investment which will have an effect on 2018 and probably 2019, but you would expect to see a return for two, for sure two years down the road. He's convinced that the sport, and, and he's, I, I agree with him, he's convinced the sport needs a promotional boost to attract new sponsors. He says, to attract sponsorship, you've got to have an attractive product. And unless you have an attractive product, the sponsors don't come. There's a lot of cars out there. We've been able to attract great brands because of what we do off track as well as on track. And I think F1 is not anywhere near as rude health as it was 20 years ago when teams were making profits. There were some great brands on the cars. You only have to compare an end-of-season driver photo from 97 to 17, and you see the volume of companies involved is significantly less. We have to create a more attractive show to draw in sponsors that offer tremendous value from what F1 is. 
he also turns around and says that, you know, the more platforms in a product we have at the moment isn't fantastic. A race like Abu Dhabi is not the best advertisement for F1. We're better than that. F1 is better than that. Okay, it's only one chapter in 20, and there's been some great racing this year, but you've always got to learn. Makes sense. And Chase Carey also um, acknowledges that, you know, Abu Dhabi wasn't a great poster child for the season and probably not a great way to end the season. Well, I think Chase is listening to us because we keep telling him that it's not the best way to end the season. Well, you know, even if he's not listening to us, he's probably was listening to Lewis Hamilton and a few others who said that, you know, this is really not a great track for racing. Mm-mm. And you compare that with the other piece of it is, yes, it's not a great track for racing, but the teams and the commentators and the announcers are also really quick to point out that when you compare the facilities in Abu Dhabi and Yas Marina and the circuit to where they just came from in Brazil, where the internet barely works, the while greatly improved, the air conditioning isn't great. They've dealt with water leaks. They've dealt with issues with shipping. There's the crime issues. They've dealt with, you know, the facilities in general are not wonderful in Interlagos. And then you go off to Abu Dhabi, which is pretty much a palace, and they feel like everything they could possibly dream of is handed to them on a silver platter, and it's like, well, hmm, how do you compare that? Right. But the racing is better typically in Brazil. Right. So you have bad facilities, better racing, amazing facilities, bad racing. Yeah. I mean, and which is which affects the fan experience, which affects your revenues. I mean, let's get serious about mm-hmm. that. You could have fabulous facilities, but the fans never necessarily see some of that stuff. Well, See, and that, that's one of the odd pieces, the, the odd things about Formula One. Because in terms of the three races, the, the three events that are known to attract the most money and the most um, glitz around them. Number one is Monaco. Mm-hmm. Also, lately, not necessarily known for the best racing. Right. You have Singapore. Again, not necessarily known for the best racing and Abu Dhabi. But Think the, about that. But the races that people are iconically talking about as being the races, I mean, Monaco will always be there. Don't, it, don't misunderstand. It will. But they're going to talk about Spa. They're going to talk about Silverstone. They're going to talk about Brazil. And Monza. And Monza. And Monza is another one that they complain about the facilities a lot. Maybe that's the secret. Well, it, it, it's... A secret. Yeah. And, and it, it's one of those things of, you know, the, these European tracks are, are iconic tracks, and why are they? Now, the other thing that it has been announced this past week or, or two weeks or so, no, this past week... Um, is that the series is actually going to revisit some of these circuits to look at why the racing is traditionally better on some and sucks on others. And yes, Herman Tilke will be involved in that. And admittedly, Herman Tilke is part of the reason why the racing isn't that great at some of these newer circuits. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. That. Yes, the, the, the car design is part of the problem. The circuits, in some cases, is part of the problem as well. There are some that just don't facilitate good racing. Nothing else for that, huh? I got nothing. I can nod and agree with you, but that's not good radio. Okay. Um, engines were discussed in the last two weeks. Very heated still regarding the number of engines and grid penalties and really how that has been representing the sport. And Jean Todd has said, again, we're not going away from three engines in 2018. Suck it up. Deal with it. No matter what Christian Horner wants to say, no matter what any of the other teams want to say about it, 
Mercedes wants it. Ferrari wants it. This is the, the rules. Unless you guys are going to be able to unanimously agree to it, it ain't changing. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. Okay. So knowing that folks are upset with this, knowing that this is an issue, there has been some changes to the grid penalty system for 2018. Okay. And as the strategy group and as F1 and as the FI have been known to do, they have enacted changes that at least from a headline perspective look fairly significant, but then you actually read them and go, yeah, okay, whatever. Oh, great. (laughs) What have they done this time? So in order to – they have gone and they have eliminated this whole idea that it is possible for a team or for a car to rack up 25, 30, 40, 50 some odd grid penalties for a race. Okay. Um, You can still get – you know, 10 spaces, 15 spaces, five spaces. But the difference is once you end up at that point that you have, you're have, you at the back of the grid, there's no more penalties to be applied. Okay. You're at the back of the grid. Which is just reality of the way it is today. Yeah, pretty much. That's the big change? That's the big change. That's the big change. And it's, as in terms of where you end up in the back of the grid when there are multiple teams that are, and multiple cars that have been racked up sufficient numbers of penalties to put them to the back of the grid, it's going to work just the same way that it has. Who got the penalty latest? Last. That's... Can you yes, it's simple. hear my eyes rolling? Yes, it has simplified. But again, it's that... Okay, when you read the headline, it sounds like they did something big and major, and then you actually read what happens. Like, yeah, okay, whatever. Because you could have had 50 grid penalties. You're still starting 21st. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's not like you had to start in Barcelona um, when you were racing in Spa because you had so many grid penalties. I know. But they've acknowledged that if they turn around and, and they say, well, you've, you're now at the back of the grid, so you're getting a time penalty. That confused the hell out of people. And that didn't work very well because that, I mean, truthfully not yeah. either. And, okay, so you have eight cars lined up in pit lane. If they're already at the back of the grid, okay, so you're going to stick them in the pit lane? Yeah. No, I think, honestly... You don't fix the penalty system. You fix the problem that causes the penalty system. Yeah. That's the reality, guys. Yeah. It, it's. Well, it, it, it's either that or you turn around and say, okay, once you've hit the back of the grid, now we start docking you championship points. That, that That's the only other option. With the question being of once you hit negative championship points, does that mean you're paying the prize fund? <laughs> McLaren. Yeah. By the way, speaking of that whole partnership, and actually it's more about the Honda partnership. Um, F Honda F1 chief, or well now, former Hama, Honda F1 chief, Yasuki Hasegawa, has been... Um, moved out of the project i don't know if he has completely been made redundant from honda knowing the the japanese culture he probably still has a job within the company but it is no longer with the formula one group within the team within the company Mm -hmm. because you know that'll fix the problem well that that obviously was the problem right yeah interesting so right after i posted the prediction show it was really nice of them. They, they couldn't have done this 24 hours earlier. No, naturally. Right after I posted the prediction show, or, or right, actually I should say right after we recorded it, um, we got confirmation, and it hit like a big bomb in the F1 world, that Alfa Romeo is returning to Formula One. Yay! Um, and we got further, because the initial reports were just that it was going to be Alfa Romeo and Sauber in some sort of partnership. Well, it is a title spot title sponsorship and partnership the new team for 2018 will be the alfa romeo sauber formula one team nice 
I don't know. I think that's a pain in the butt to say. Well, We're just going to end up calling him Alpha. Yeah. Maybe Alpha Sauber, but probably not just Alpha. Call him Alpha Sauber. No, I didn't say they. I said we. No, we're not calling them Alpha Sauber. We'll have to see because, like, for example, Infinity, when they were the title sponsor for Red Bull, we never referred to Infinity Red Bull, nor did the pundits. It was the Red Bull. No, actually, they did. And a lot of the, the, especially the broadcasters, would call them Infinity Red Bull Racing. Infinity was in there. It wasn't in there often. And it was, in many ways, it was kind of like Steve Matchett and his his refusal to call it McLaren Mercedes and instead would call them McLaren International. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if we'll actually refer to. It'll be interesting to see how it works out as to what it, they really get called. So we've seen at least... The preliminary um, livery for the car. Already? Uh, oh, yeah. As part of this announcement and launch, it was not just uh, the name of the team. It was prelim- preliminary livery for the car as well as the driver lineup for 2018, and Pascal Verline is out of a seat. Oh, poor Pascal. The promi- I mean, he was considered the promising next up-and-comer, and as of right now, he does not have a ride. Come. Yeah, he has been replaced by Ferrari development driver Charles Leclerc. Okay. Alongside Marcus Erickson. How does that boy still have a ride? It, well, the group that financed and now owns a good chunk of the Sauber team and forced Manisha L out. Um, he's got very close ties with them. I believe that's like his sponsor. Oh. So that's where that came from. Okay. Uh, but the car will be red, white, and blue with a, as of right now, a big honkin' alpha logo behind the drivers. Okay. Now we'll see if it stays that way come the official launch, but as of right now, that's what they're going with. It's a sharp-looking logo. Nice. Welcome, Alpha, to Formula One. Now, as part of the debut, um, the traditional uh, Sauber sponsors of CNBC and somebody else, um, they will remain on the tailwing. Okay. So nothing more prominent just yet. We'll see if that changes. But it also it begs the question. Now, you remember a few weeks ago, Sergio Marchionne said that if we don't get what we want for the engines— Ferrari's out. We're leaving the sport 2021. We're done. But now they've turned around and they've substantially increased their investment into Formula One with the title sponsorship for Sauber. So how serious is that threat of you're going to walk away if you don't get what you want, but we're going to throw more money at you in the meantime? Think how about that message. How did you think that threat was to be I know. It's, it's Ferrari and it's— It's Ferrari. I'm going to take my toys and go home, but I'm Ferrari. I'm not going to really go home. Yeah. But speaking of Ferrari, and again, with that odd juxtaposition of what the heck is going on with them, we got word this week that they're losing their sponsorship from Santander. Really? I mean, Santander's been around for a long time. I thought that was a big Fernando deal well that's kind of what i wonder is if it related to the fact that fernando hasn't been with the team in a while now santander has been pulling back some degree of their sponsorship to begin with because they're also really big sponsors of jensen button jensen's gone and when jensen left the santander sponsorship started to disappear from the mclarens as well hmm very interesting. Yeah, so I, I don't know if that means that they're going to completely walk away from the sport or they're just walking away from Ferrari or what. But, yeah, they've lost that sponsorship. Mm. So I know this is something that, that you, you've, you've got a burning question about. You want to know what 
Lance Stroll's going to do over his holiday vacation. I've been very worried about this. You've been very concerned about this. Yeah. Well. I mean, I offered that he could come and stay with us and celebrate the holidays with us. You know, actually. I, it, but you were afraid he was going to crash into things. I was concerned about that. And the reality is I would much rather spend the holidays with his family. <laughs> well, there is that. But we thought we'd let him slum for a while. Oh, is, is that what it is? Well, what he's going to actually be doing is he's headed to Daytona. Not for that reason. He is going to be— Spring break? Yeah, he's not doing it. Well, he, he is going to, to Daytona, quote, to have fun, but it's because he's going to be running in the 20— well, he's going to be driving in the 24 hours of Daytona race, not running. No, wait, wait. Are we <laughs> it might sure? be safer for everybody else if he's just running, but— <laughs> Wait, have we confirmed actual driving, or does he have to run on the track with the drivers running around him? Nope, he's going to be driving in an LMP2 prototype car alongside um, Felix Rosenquist, who Just last week won, won Formula the- E. Um, Daniel <laughs> Junk, yeah, by default, Daniel Junkadella and Robin Friggins uh, for the Orica Gibson 07. Um, and actually, it's part of the Jackie Chan uh, racing team. Okay. And he's doing it for, quote, fun. Now, this is not Lance's first experience at Daytona. In 2016, he drove the Ganassi Riley Ford Daytona prototype with the same group of drivers, which is part of the reason— these are buds. Yeah, th- th- and, and that's part of the reason why he says that he's doing this for fun is because he's done it before. It's with his buddies. They all get along. So why not go forth and do this? The other thing to remind you of is that Lance. this makes Lance the second current Formula One driver to be on the grid at this year's uh, IMSA race at Daytona, which, by the way, keep in mind, I believe IMSA's coming to mid-Ohio for the first time this year. Yep. Um, But the other driver who will be there is Fernando Fernando Alonso driving alongside McLaren's new prodigy, Lando Norris, and somebody else. Yeah. Lando is the only one. I mean, I I, I know there's somebody else. I just didn't go look it up. So it's somebody besides them. But, yeah, they're all all driving together. (coughs) So I think it could be very interesting to see – where everybody ends up well i think it'll be very interesting it would be you know it'll be fun to watch i think it'll be a fun race to watch but the other thing that's bizarre about this is that technically lance isn't a rookie for this but fernando fernando is is. yep what is wrong with this world Where Lance doesn't have to retain forever his R status. Yeah. Yeah, well. well, Fernando's already done his R status in IndyCar. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, the other standing question when it comes to Williams is who's going to take that seat next to Lance? Who's going to mentor Lance? And and that, I think, is one of the key things here (laughs) in this next story. Because... According to management for Oliver Rowland, as you're going, who the hell is Oliver Rowland? <laughs> Oliver Rowland, by the way, is a development driver for Renault and finished third in the F2 driver's cha- standings this season and has not previously been linked with Williams. But according to his management team, they have been in discussions with Williams for the Formula One seat. What happened to Paul DeResta and Kabitza and anybody else that was seeking to apply? Well, what the management team says is Renault development driver Oliver Rowland is in talks with Williams about securing a seat for Formula One in 2018. The 25-year-old hasn't been considered an option until now, with Williams still decided on who to put in the car next year. With Oliver saying, my team is in talks with Williams, as they are with other teams. British car, British driver, it fits well. Lots of drivers seem to be in the frame for 2018, so we will just have to see what happens. So when Autosport Sport reached out to Williams and said, what? Hmm. Williams' response was, well, I don't know what you're talking about. We haven't ta- spoken to the guy. 
we have no intention of putting him in a seat. Which I think either means he's a shoe in for the seat or they were all at the BRDC prize giving and the manager or, or the, the third secretary to, to the, the janitor said, Hey, you guys should consider Oliver Rowland and, and whoever it was that they spoke to said, sure, we'll do that. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, they're in talks with, they didn't say what kind of talks they yeah. they're with. You know, they could be talking about all sorts of things, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You know, management saying that they're in talks with a Formula One team could also equal somebody called the offices and said, hey, we'd like to sit down with you and talk to you. And somebody said, free lunch? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) But. You know, little do they know they've got the Williams janitor secretary that they're going to buy a free lunch for. Yeah. So I'm thinking extreme outside chance for Oliver to get the seat. But there's also, a, I mean, there could be stonewalling on Williams' side, and this is like a thing. It, you know, it it could be. It, it could be this idea of trying to push uh, – Nico Rosberg's negotiations for um, Robert Kubica or mm-hmm. yeah we'll see could be it could be more of a thing than we realize so while we're talking about post Formula One stuff mm-hmm. and opportunities Mark Webber famed Australian famed sure why not I'm going with it. Okay. He has been named to the board of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation uh, to serve for the next three years. Okay. Go, Mark? Yeah. I mean, just throwing it out there. So you also heard about what Massa's post-Formula One career is going to be. Mm. Well, we had mentioned that he was potentially going to represent Brazil on the World Motorsport Council. Well, it looks like he's going to be working with the FIA in some type of karting position. Okay. Well, he, he likes karting. He's a big fan of it. So, yeah, that, oh, that makes sense. I don't know any of the details other than um, that it involves FIA and karting. There. You know everything I know. Okay. So how about some stuff on new races? Potential new races. Sure. Well, we know that um, Formula One Group and Chase Carey have been looking for new locations to hold races, particularly in the United States. Okay. According to the Miami Herald, they they published a report just after Thanksgiving saying that um, several officials from Formula One were in Miami to evaluate potential options for a race in 2020. Wow. Specifically, downtown Miami. Now, many, many, many years ago, um, IndyCar, when I believe it was still the Champ Series, yeah, it was a long time ago, um, IndyCar used to have, or, or the predecessor to IndyCar, was open-wheel racing did have a race in downtown around the area um, between the MacArthur Causeway and the Causeway to go over to Dodge Island, which is where the cruise ships leave from, um, in that park over there. Okay. Um, and it was the yachts used to back up to the, 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 the bulkheads and the cars used to race by. Um, I think they were only there for like a year or two. And some of that course... I believe is now where the American Airlines Arena sits. <laughs> it's um, it, I think it will be a difficult sell to figure out where in Miami you could put a race, and a race that would be interesting. Well, I, I mean that's the thing is whether or not the layout would work. Now, Formula E did race in Miami also in this that general vicinity in downtown Miami in 2015 but never came back right um 
some of the, the things that they have tossed out there is um, the race goes through the park for a tight twistier because it's not a huge park, but then go across the causeway onto Dodge Island. I don't know how that would work. It's kind of busy for shipping. You, you're going to have to not have the cruise ships there while yeah. that's going on. Um, somebody, and, and this also seems kind of dumb, there's now a tunnel to get over to Dodge Island in addition to the causeway, and they tossed out, well, maybe we could include the tunnel as part of this. Okay. I, if you're going to think tunnel, remember the exit out of pit lane in Abu Dhabi. There's that, but there's also the Monaco has a tunnel, and it is an iconic piece of the Monaco track. So, yeah. But there's a difference in that a good chunk of that tunnel is open. It's because there's a building on top of it as opposed to going under the channel. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's the question of will that tunnel be more Monaco or more Abu Dhabi? And... Keep in mind, everything else about this, there's like they're trying to be more Monaco because it's Miami. But, I mean, I'm sure it would look beautiful to run those cars up Miami Beach, cross by the hotels and everything like that. I, well, no, they're not going to get to Miami Beach. That that won't happen. It, it's going to be in downtown Miami. It's not going to be in Miami Beach. Um, there's no talk of the city of Miami Beach being anywhere <laughs> remotely interested in this. Um but because downtown Miami does have a history of it, but of course you've got the other piece of just to the edge of where that track is, is Liberty City. It is an air, a part of Miami that for a very long time is probably almost as crime, and I'm sorry folks of Miami that I'm saying this, but it is almost as crime ridden as the favelas around Interlagos. What was it? Dave Bar no, it was a it wasn't Dave Barry. It was a commentator from Colorado when they had the I wanna say it was one of the Super Bowls down there, that this was a part of Miami that you did not want to go to with uniformed Secret Service escorting you around. <laughs> Dave Barry didn't like that, but arguably Yeah. Yeah, probably was right. <laughs> yeah. Liberty City is not a nice area. And th there's there's some uh, Already some opposition to the race, as you would expect. Um, nothing's been signed, but yeah, we'll see. I know Liberty is seeking out opportunities. Speaking of Brazil, though. Opportunities. New security measures have been proposed by the FIA for the folks in Brazil to take. Okay. Um, they've recommended that the promoter, who is responsible for the security of the event, retains an independent security expert to evaluate and advise on security plans, implements a police reporting hub at the circuit, and improves overall communication between a promoter, security, police, and stakeholders. The World, the World Council strongly urged the promoter to implement these recommendations and improve the situation ahead of next year's event. The FIA will offer to participate in discussions with the local authorities and closely monitor the situations. Now, this statement was tied into the official release for the calendar for next year, which um, actually makes a whole lot more sense compared to what they've done last year. Or, or in previous years, there's some blocks that work. Okay. So where the calendar works is starts off March 25th in Australia, then goes to Bahrain, which, okay, that's a bit, bit of a jump there, but then to China and Azerbaijan. Okay. As opposed to move, putting Azerbaijan after Montreal in 19 hours and that ridiculous transfer there. So China to Azerbaijan, then we kick off the European season. Okay. Spain and Monaco, then Canada. Yeah, I know Canada is still an, an oddball there, but it works. Then we return to France. Okay. Um, then Austria, Britain, Germany, Hungary. Um, we do our break. Returning August 26th for Belgium, Italy, Singapore, Russia in September again. Nice. Then to Japan. October 21st is the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin, which came with an asterisk. We don't know why, but it's currently listed as provisional again. Interesting. Yeah. Don't know what's going on with that. 
um, followed by a week later, Mexico, Brazil, and then again, wrapping in Abu Dhabi. It's an interesting mix-up. But the blocks seem to make sense. We're, we're not doing the odd jumps that we've had to all of a sudden zoom across country, with the exception of the, Mon- or, or the Montreal race. But Montreal is tied to that particular weekend. They can't. There's a there's a deal there that's been a longstanding deal. That, I think that some of it, the other is weather-wise, it makes decent sense to have Montreal then. Yeah. It's not often you get a tropical storm that, that comes sweeping up the first week of June and hits, hits Canada. It's been known to happen, but it doesn't happen often. Yeah. So. Is the U.S. Grand Prix the only provisional one on the yes. list? Yes. Interesting. And the other piece of note besides the return of france is germany's back for its every other appearance because we're going to hockenheim i was going to say because we just don't do nurburgring anymore. yeah but france's circuit paul ricard so bernie's getting money yes <laughs> now i know you were on the edge of your seat for this over this you Tires. were very very concerned as to what was going to happen there was a vote this past week and the results really concerned you. I know. You were you, you were wondering what was going to happen. However, it's official. Jean Todd has won a position <laughs> running the FIA for a third year. He had very tough competition. He was running against on a post. <laughs> so apparently my right-in can- candidacy failed is what you're telling. Yeah. Now, what I also want to know. Speaking of write-in campaigns, because this one had to have been successful, is who started the write-in campaign to the International Motorsport Council when it came to the selection of who they wanted to represent women on the council? (laughs) Because they selected Carmen Jordan. Now, some of you may know Carmen Jordan because she was a frequent mocking point for us best way to put it, and many others for her naming by uh, Lotus and briefly by Renault as a de- quote-unquote development driver. Right. Who never actually drove a car. Never developed. Yes. Um, who, um, I think her best finish in GP3 was like ninth. Yeah. Her best qualification was not her finishing. Yeah. She um, said that she is delighted to have the opportunity to represent and fight for women in motorsport, which sounds promising, except that she also has a position that she does not believe that women can compete equally with men in motorsport. That is a serious problem, and I am surprised. How do you balance that out? Well, it, it, it turns out that at least one woman in motorsport really is not happy with this. Oh, can I guess? Sure. Susie Wolf, naturally. You know, I haven't heard from her on this. The person I did hear from, though, is Pippa Mann. Pippa? Now, Pippa Mann, again, for those that don't know, she's one— races in the Indy Light Series, the the prime feeder into um, IndyCar. She's driven in the Indianapolis 500. She's qualified in the Indianapolis 500. She's driven in a couple of um, uh, IndyCar races. I do not believe that she has done any entire season. She hasn't. Um, Because of the weird way that IndyCar works, it was a team that, like, entered into like three or four races, including the Indy 500. Mm-hmm. Um, but what she had to say, she said, she, she put out a tweet that said, Dear FIA, if the news I'm hearing is correct and you have appointed a racer with no notable results who does not believe we can compete as equals in this sport to represent women in racing, I am incredibly disappointed. Sincerely, an Indy 500 qualifier, Indy, Ra- Indy Lights race winner. <laughs> yeah. I I don't get it. Actually, I think I do get it. And I think the real reason why, 
really simple. If you look at A, who was looking for a job, number one, combined with a picture of Carmen Jordan. That's why they did it. Naturally. I told you her best qualification was not inside a car. Yeah. It's not the best I can go with there. Oh. I want to I want to believe that they asked Susie Wolf first. And that she turned them down because she has a newborn and that she is not currently seeking an automotive career. I mean, I hate to say it. But I almost wish they went to Danica Patrick before they went to Carmen Jorda. I don't know if not, that would be much better, but yeah. Well, I was going to say, not that she has had any kind of exposure in the international stage other than smart-ass comments from Bernie Eccleston. But she's driven in top-tier series. She's gotten podiums. Carmen Jorda's never gotten a podium let alone driven in a top-tier series. My I, issue is that she doesn't believe that they can that women can compete on an equal footing as men. And well, that's just the kicker. That, that's just that's the, the kicker. The problem is how do, you, how do you square that circle? I mean, one of the things that I love, love about Susie Wolf is her statement, which I think is the truest thing in the entire world, that the car is the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. That it is not a matter of muscle development or size, body size. It is the car equalizes men and women where you can take out some of the differences that are inherently natural between yeah. men and women. But how, if you start with a premise that you can't compete equally, I wouldn't be surprised if that's not the reason why she got named, too. And and, and that's possible, too. I mean, it, it allows you to check, have that checkbox of, A, you have a woman, and B, a woman who supports your you, stupid position. Yeah. So. <laughs> you have found the one woman in motorsport that supports your backwards position. Yeah. Go women in motorsports. Yeah, but but the question is, when you're the FIA and you do this, where do they want the women in motorsports to go? Yeah, they want to have their own women's series or something. And I th- and, and that has been thrown out there, and Summarily. many think it's it, it's a moronic idea, but that's kind of what Carmen Jorda has been advocating for. Because that's the only series she could possibly win in. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I, I could see that argument there. Well, you know, I don't think anybody is inviting Carmen Jordan to participate in a race of champions. See? Susie Wolf gets invited to participate in a race of champions. Maybe somebody needs to invite Pippa Man to, to participate in a race of champions. Can you imagine a Susie Pippa team? Um, th- the problem with that is that it's by nationality. Oh. And... I, I don't think, and, and I say it's by nationality acknowledging that um, Susie Wolf competes for Scotland, even though Scotland isn't. An, it is so a nationality. Well, no. <laughs> it's not an independent nation. Yet. Yes, it's, it's a nationality, but it's not an independent nation. Yet. I'll, I'll give you that. But... <laughs> That, that that's that's where I was going. Not that it wasn't a nationality, yeah. um, but th- that's the issue. There is, I'm I, I'm ninety percent sure Pippa isn't Scottish. I don't recall whether or not she's American or British though. Uh. And I can't see someone competing alongside a Scottish person with the British flag and going, "Yay, go!" <laughs> Especially after some of the things that have happened over there right now. So, <laughs> did you read how close the vote was? Yeah, that that's the thing. And and Susie typically goes and competes with David Cothard, which makes sense. Yeah, which makes sense. So now that we have supported women in motorsports, what else do we have to talk about? No, that was that was mocking Carmen Jorda. That was how we're ending our show. <laughs> oh. Oh, I was hoping we had a high note. <laughs> Mocking Carmen Jorda isn't a high. I, mocking Carmen Carmen Jorda is typically good for pulling a show out of the basement. Okay. 
Well, our show was not in the basement. It wasn't. So, um, some housekeeping. Yes. We need to. We do need to discuss a little housekeeping. Uh, yeah, I was going to go there at the beginning of the show, but we got sidetracked. So, we're going to do it at the end of the show. Hey, yeah. Sometimes you got to clean up the house as we walk out the door. Yeah. Um, so, we will have one final show this year. Mm-hmm. Next week. Us. Next week. And then we will be on a winter break. As we hope all of our fans are on a winter break. Well, at the very least, well, as we say every time we go on break, it's not a break for us. It's a break for you. Exactly. And we will rejoin after the first of the year. Yeah. The the question is going to be the first weekend of the year whether or not we have a show. Correct. We, We will be around. It's whether or not we will be conscious. If we can string words into a, into a full sentence, we may have a show. Well, yes. Um, you are definitely planning on over-imbibing on New Year's Eve to last a week long. So from that standpoint, we need to make sure that you are not hungover. Oh, is that what we're going with? That's what we're going okay. with. Um, anyway, we will be doing our classic winter break um, and much like Formula One, we will rejoin after the new year. And on that, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. <laughs>